0: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste
0: Time now for Fantasy Football Weekly from iHeartRadio, your weekly source for the nation's best fantasy football advice, speculation, and whatever stupid stuff they decide to drop into the show. Now, here's your host, Paul Charchian.
2: Welcome to Fantasy Football Weekly. It is our final show before the draft. My co-host today is Matt Harrison. Hi, Matt. Hey, Charch. How are you? Awfully excited to be able to talk rookie receivers. We started the conversation last week. We talked about seven rookie receivers. This week, we're going to continue that conversation forward with another set of guys. And, you know, Matt, this is our last chance to speculate pre-draft, you know, where guys might go, particularly good fits, the guys that we love. And this is, by most accounts, the deepest wide receiver draft of our lifetimes, so these guys matter. I mean, the, the guys that we're talking about normally, we're going to talk about guys that are going to be taken second round, third round in a couple of cases, probably beyond that. And normally these guys are are really dicey to make an impact, but not this year. Most of all the guys we talk about are going to have a chance to make an immediate fantasy impact.
3: Yeah, I think most of these wide receivers are probably, uh, if not wide receiver ones, at least wide receiver two or threes on their team. So a lot of these guys are going to get slot play and uh, the rest of them are just going to be on the field for 80, 90% of the snaps in, in their rookie year. So I like a lot of these guys from a fantasy perspective.
2: Yeah. Fantastic. Let's begin with the notable omission from our list last year. And that was Denzel Mims from when I said last year, last week with Brian, <laughs> Denzel Mims from Baylor who Brian just didn't like and didn't want to include him in his in his top 7 guys but I think he's crazy and I've got him slated going in the first round number 24 to the Saints. Denzel Mims from Baylor, breakdown Denzel Mims' game and and I'll I'll talk maybe a little bit as well about why I like him so much as a potential Saint.
3: Yeah, I think I have him as the fifth, maybe sixth wide receiver off the board. And it's a pretty legendary wide receiver class, as you said. But Mims is definitely one of the biggest wide receivers in this class. Uh, fortunately for fantasy players, he's also one of the fastest mm-hmm. wide receivers in this class. Uh, he posted a four three eight forty at the Combine that was third among wide receivers. And he ranked second in college football with 20 contested catches last season. Unreal. And if you watch some of his tape, it's it's seriously impressive. And I'm not going to call him Randy Moss, but the way he maneuvered back to the ball in the air was kind of moss-like. Uh it feels like he's a late first rounder. You said you got him on the late first round. Uh betonline.ag has him at negative 180 minus 180 to be picked in the first round, mm. according to the betting odds. So he's a pretty big favorite to go in the first round. Um I like I said, I think he's the fifth receiver off the board after Lamb, rugs, Judy, and Jefferson. And the comps that I saw um from some of the draft experts out there are DJ Chark, who was really great last year. Kenny Galladay, who's a stud and Alshon Jeffrey, who up until the last season or two was one of the better fantasy wide receivers. So, uh, I think sky's the limit for Denzel Mims.
2: Yeah. What those guys have in common is they're all bigger bodied guys. And with the exception of Jeffrey, they can get downfield and they can get some separation downfield. And that's what's really special about Mims is you rarely get a big bodied receiver who has the speed to get downfield and can separate downfield and I think that's part of what makes him him really special. Those acrobatic catches you mentioned, the contested catches that you mentioned, that's um, that part all bodes really well for Denzel Mims. The, the, uh, the reoccurring negative that you hear about Denzel Mims is that Baylor just didn't ask him to do very much except go run fast and go run straight, and we'll just heave up yeah. the ball. So there are a lot of people who feel like he's got to learn a lot of the route tree, and it's there. He's, he may have a first year or two that's really kind of used as a as a downfield specialist until he becomes more of a
3: student to the rest of the, the field and can learn much more of the route tree. Well, and if he's a late first-round wide receiver, that means he's instantly glomming on to an offense that's probably pretty good, most likely a playoff team uh, right away. So you put a talent like that on a roster that's uh, already been in the playoffs, I really like the odds there.
2: So in the Saints, and you know, it's certainly no lock. He'll go to the saints, but the fit is so good because Michael Thomas is a player who's, um, really got a complete game and can fill out most of the field. But what he doesn't have is that over-the-top speed. You know, he's not the mm-hmm. guy who's going to take the top off of the off of the de- off of the field and force defenses back and backpedaling because of his speed. Well, that's where Mims comes in. And Mims would be perfect with as a compliment to Thomas. And why I think that would be so lethal if those two get together. And where I could see Mims really vaulting. It, it's to me. It's almost an ideal landing spot. If you could pick a place where Mims reasonably could go to a team that could perhaps utilize him the best, I I I think the Saints are one of those teams.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, all, there's a lot of teams that could he could really be a difference maker for. Uh, think about San Francisco with their second pick. Think about Kansas City. Uh, there's just uh, Philadelphia is a place that uh, they need a wide receiver as well. They yep. pick uh, 21, I believe. So there's a lot of really good spots that Denzel Mims could land. All right, let's uh,
2: let's continue on with a couple other players. One of the other players that uh, that are, is being mentioned as a possible first rounder, and you see him periodically popping up near the bottom of the first round for some different different mocks, is the Colorado high upside, high risk, high reward guy, Lavishka Chenault. And mm-hmm. this is the kid from Colorado who was super productive elite playmaker ability, but also has got a variety of concerns with him as well. What do you think of LaVishka
3: Chenault? Well, I I like to give uh, the NFL comps because that's uh, always fun. And let's start uh, Chenault with his comps, uh, which are Big Debo Samuel or Big Percy Harvin. (laughs) He lines up at wide receiver, running back, Wildcat quarterback at, at, at Colorado, it makes him the dreaded gadget player. And the gadget players don't always work out from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. But true. because he he lined up in so many different spots, he broke more tackles than any draft eligible wide receiver, according to Pro yeah, Football Focus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, his forty time was an uninspiring 4.58. He takes a lot of punishment in his game because he kind of seeks out guys to uh to try to destroy too. It also led to a handful of injuries at Colorado, including a shoulder Mm -hmm. injury and a toe injury. And get this. He was diagnosed with a pubic bone inflammation in February. I wonder how he got that. That doesn't sound good. Um, His odds of being picked in the first round, not that great. If you think he uh, will be, though, you're getting plus 215 odds for him to go in the first round. I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. I think he's likely a mid to late second rounder. Uh, I could see him dropping into the third. We need him to go to an offense with a really clever offensive coordinator for him to be fantasy viable. And if he goes to a spot where... They're just not using the analytics and they're just not using uh their their brains to run smart plays. I think Chenault's gonna be languished as kind of a special teams guy.
2: Uh he's explosive in a way few players are. He's awesome after the catch, and that's part of the you talked about him being used as a running back, not just a little bit. He'd scored seven rushing touchdowns last year, Chenault yeah. did. And so he is he is as lethal as anybody outside of CeeDee Lamb in this draft class after the catch. And, and I think you raise a good point that creative, open-minded offensive coordinators will find ways to utilize him that can be very fantasy-friendly. And you're right, if he falls into the wrong spot, I think he could be, you know, many of those dud seasons that Percy Harvin had for fantasy owners could end up, mm-hmm. you know, emerging here as well. Well, uh, you know, that'll be, it'll be fascinating to see where he goes, but in the right place, He's a guy that could make a lot of sense um, and could ultimately be, uh, just because of his freakish athletic ability, uh, LaVishka Chenault could end up being a good player. Let's go to our number three, our third wide receiver that I want to talk about. Again, a guy that's being frequently mocked into the second round, and that is K.J. Hamler from Penn State. The comp I'm seeing on him a lot is Tavon Austin.
3: Yeah, I have Tavon Austin as one of his comps, also uh, Marquise Brown. And uh, if we want to throw it way back, how about Peter Warwick from way oh, back yeah. in the day? Yeah, um, yeah. Hamler did not run at the combine, but by all accounts, he's one of the fastest wide receivers in this draft. But sure. at only 5'9", he's also one of the smallest, only 178 pounds. But he's definitely one of those like, jitterbug guys that you just can't catch. And he should really factor in heavily as a kick-and-punt returner in the league. And that actually might be his best role in the NFL. Um, there's some worry about uh, him dropping the ball. That was a bit of an issue at Penn State. No, but it wasn't a bit of an issue. The ball it, was a, hands,
2: it was a massive, massive issue. I believe the yeah. stat I saw was, um, and I apologize if I got this wrong, seventy. 70- catchable passes last year 12 drops on 70 passes that is a horrifying percentage and if there's one trait that scares me about a receiver and the long-term developmental prospects it's drops because you've seen so many times where guys who have bad hands just can't get it all together and not always but more often than not you, you know it's handful of drops doesn't bother me at all. Uh, but when you're seeing that level of, of drops, I, I really worry about that part for KJ Hamler.
3: Now get the ball in his hands. All bets right. are off because he's super fast. He's super elusive to catch even in tight spaces. I mean, that's his game. It His game is get the ball in his hands somehow. And if he can get, you know, eight, nine touches a game, he he might break one. He's that good. Um, You know, this isn't a comp that I, I saw. But a little bit reminds me of maybe Tariq Cohen of the Bears, uh, yeah, a smaller maybe. guy uh, who get get the ball in his hands a few times and see what happens. But again, I think it's landing spot dependent how viable he is in a, in a fantasy sense, because if we don't have an offensive coordinator who knows how to use a 5'9", 178 jitterbug player, I, I think he might be lost on the bench. See, I think it doesn't matter.
2: These guys never are fantasy factors, reliable fantasy factors. Name me another guy like a Tavon Austin, who was a reliable fantasy producer.
3: Uh, I can't right offhand. If you would have prepped me for this and I would have known that question is coming, I would have dug deep (laughs) into the archives, but (laughs) it's
2: probably
0: not
3: that.
2: (laughs) Matt, I just don't think these guys are fantasy producers that you can count on. Is, is, is KJ Hamler going to break some slots, some slants, some, some slant catches into long gains? Absolutely. He's going to score some touchdowns. You're not going to know when they're coming. It's going to be really, really hard to know. And um, and so I think uh I think KJ Hamler from a fantasy standpoint does not interest me. At least not very much. Let's uh let's work at a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the opposite, a one of the better big-bodied receivers that you're going to find in the in this draft class when we come back Welcome back more Fantasy Football Weekly. I'm Paul Chargy and my co-host is Matt Harrison. We're breaking down the day two wide receivers, and there could be a bunch of them. We've already talked about Denzel Mims and LaVishka Chenault and KJ Hamler, who I'm pretty down on. Let's talk about a big bodied receiver from Notre Dame named Chase Claypool. He's uh he's one of the bigger guys in this draft class. He breaks tackles with with strength. He's got you know stereotypical ability of these bigger, stronger receivers that are taken high in a draft. They win these contested catches, Matt. He's got the ball skills, the hands. There's a lot to like here from Chase Claypool, and we do see most of the fan, the ongoing long term fantasy contributors year after year are bigger bodied guys, you know, like Julio Jones and AJ Green and and so many others. What do you what do you think of Chase
3: Claypool? Well, first off, I think that he's seven inches taller and 50 pounds heavier than KJ Hamler. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're that's not helpful. 100% sure that Chase Claypool will be a wide receiver at the pro level. A lot of people are talking about him as a tight end. Um, yeah. And if if he does convert to tight end, that's fine. Because one of the comps I found on him was Darren Waller. And uh, Darren Waller did uh, a a pretty good job last year. Uh, He did gain nine pounds between the senior bowl and the combine, which probably means somebody's in his ear saying, yeah, dude, you're probably going to be a tight end at the pro level. Uh, But much like Darren Waller, Claypool uh, was an incredible overall athlete, uh, averaged 45 points per game in high school playing basketball. uh, And he's one of two wide receivers at the combine to weigh more than 230 pounds and run a sub 44540 4, 40 at the Combine. Do wow. you know who the other wide receiver to do that was? No. Uh, he's got a robotic nickname, Megatron. Calvin oh, Johnson geez. was the wow. only other one to do this. That's um, awesome. He, his weaknesses are becoming a great receiver. Um, he's really big. He's not super awesome at the point of a contested catch and his route running also leaves a little bit to be desired, which is why he's probably nudged toward the tight end position as well. He's likely a second rounder in my book. Um, Comps of Waller, and then if you're going to give him a comp as a wide receiver, probably DK Metcalf, who's huge and fast, and maybe Vincent Jackson a little bit too, but he's a little oh, bit yeah. on the slower side. That's you know, I like that. That's a, I think that is a really good comp,
2: Vincent Jackson. That makes a ton of sense. I like yeah. that. Now, here's a, a major red flag for fantasy owners with Chase Claypool. If you if he goes to a team who's going to convert him to tight end, that is a multi-year conversion. That is does not happen quickly and will take it will take time. And it and it means a very I think it means potentially very little playing time in his rookie year. I would be I would knock Chase Claypool down significantly for dynasty empire use if that happens, any use and redraft for that matter, just because I think you're gonna get just, just the timeline for him to hit the field is just is just dramatically reduced when you need to go learn how to, to block in line. Yeah, you know, tight ends—it's such a different position. I would be worried.
3: Yeah, he—he he probably falls out of, uh, you know, the the rookie draft first round if he becomes a tight end. But uh, I mean, really, the sky's the limit for a guy of that size and 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 the ability in the open field. So I still like him quite a bit. All right, let's go to Brandon Ayuk from
2: Arizona State. This is a player I like a lot, and I think could be a sneaky entrant to the bottom of the first round, potentially to San Francisco, which is where I currently have him mocked. Brandon Ayuk, what is, I want to see if you are is it, if you
3: like him as much as I do. I, I do like him quite a bit, and I think you're right, uh, right on the money there that I think he might be a uh, tail end of the first round guy. Uh, everything I've read about Ayuk is that he's the hardest worker in this wide receiver class. Uh, he's one of those guys who wasn't really recruited, went to JUCO for two years, Started every game in his two years at Arizona State after uh, after moving up to D1. Uh, really didn't break out until his senior season, but Nikhil Harry was right in front of him in his junior year. Um, yeah. Had some pretty decent success in the return game. Had both a punt and kick return touchdown last season. And that's something that uh, NFL teams do look for in wide receivers. And um, one of the things that uh, I forget who said this, but uh, I was listening to another podcast and... Um, Guys who hit the pro level, if they have a special teams touchdown on their resume from college, they're much likelier to break out and be something of a success in the NFL. Um, great deep speed, very big hands and very yeah. long arms for a six foot zero frame, uh, but wasn't a world beater in contestant catch situations. Uh, And he's a bit of a late breakout in college and late breakouts are always a slight concern that it might just be a flash in the pan year. Um, They gave him comps of DJ Moore as a wide receiver, which is great Uh Ty Montgomery in the return game, uh, which is also great. So I think Brandon Ayuk has a, a very good chance of uh, being a noisemaker in this draft.
2: I do too. I'll be fascinated to see his landing spot. And I think he can help. I think he can help almost every team. I don't think he's, he's not somebody that you need to find just the right spot for There's So this deep, this, this draft is super deep in slot receivers in particular. That's not him either. So I, I, I love the flexibility. And I think his landing spot, it it could be, could be helpful almost for every single team he might go to. Let's go to KJ Hill of Ohio state. Speaking of slot receivers, ran almost entirely from the slot and ran almost entirely underneath routes and I th- there's another guy that's going to have to learn a broader uh, route tree than what he showed at Ohio State and KJ Hill to me is is a specialist that is a guy I need to find this landing spot that's going to use his unique slot receiver middle of the field talents best.
3: Yeah. uh, So I was reviewing all the KJ Hill tape that I could find and I just didn't see anything that looked particularly elite. He was was at Ohio State and Ohio State dominated this season and he was wide open on nearly every single one of the highlights that I saw. I didn't see (laughs) any moves or super elite speed or size, but he caught the ball a lot and he ran into the end zone a lot. Is that a product of elite separation or route running, or is it because Ohio State was so good and they were up by 20 points and nobody can cover anybody with J.K. Dobbins in the backfield? So, um, his metrics at the combine 4'6 40 at the combine, that's not good. NFL.com gave him a backup special teams grade as an overall grade for him. Um, like I said, speed's not great. Scouts are saying that his separation and route running is average. Once he gets the ball in space, he does have a knack for finding the end zone and he comes from the Ohio state wide receiver program. So he's got that pedigree. He redshirted his first year because Michael Thomas, Curtis Samuel and Braxton Miller were ahead of him on the depth chart. But I think on the upside, he's Cole Beasley in the NFL. That's the comp I have for him. I I don't think that he's anything more than uh, a slot receiver that, uh, pops up for a good game now and then, but uh, really isn't a guy that you want on your fantasy roster. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't KJ
2: Hill does not interest me. And I, I think, like I said, I think he needs to find just the right spot for him to be effective. Um, and I, I don't know that that's going to happen. I see a potential slide for him in the draft as well. Let's go to uh we got two receivers left that I want to talk about. Let's take a quick break get to Juwan Jennings from Tennessee and Brian Edwards is one of my favorite sneaky under the radar guys, but I don't know under the radar is anymore. Cause I'm seeing his name pop up a lot as, as everybody's favorite sleeper. So I'll talk about those two guys when we come back for the final segment of fantasy football weekly. Paul Charchi and Matt Harrison with you. We're breaking down the second tier of rookie wide receivers. We've already broken down Denzel Mims, LaVishka Chenault, KJ Hamler, Chase Claypool, Brandon Ayuk, KJ Hill. Who we both don't like much. And now let's turn our attention to our final two guys. Juwan Jennings from Tennessee. Another guy that uh, didn't run only from the slot, but most of his production came from the slot. Um, but, still has a lot of parts to his game that could be pretty compelling here. And I think that again, in the, in the right spot, I, I think he could be successful. And I, I definitely like him as a, as a S as a slot receiver more than I like KJ Hill, but what are your thoughts? I'll let you go first. What are your thoughts on Juwan Jennings from Tennessee? Uh,
3: six three, two ten, uh another big dude. Um, but yeah. he's this year's baggage prospect, uh, Tons of off-field issues stemming all the way back to high school, mostly dealing with just his attitude around his team. He quit his high school team. He was kicked off Tennessee's roster in 2017. They allowed him to come back, but he had to miss half of the Gator Bowl this year due to stomping on an opponent. So uh, he's got that baggage with him. But with that comes a lot of talent and the right coaching staff might be able to get the most out of him. He had only 57 receptions for the Vols last year, but somehow he broke 29 tackles on 57 yeah, how about that? receptions. That's insane. So, I mean, if, you know, broken tackles for a wide receiver to break tackles on half their catches. That's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, he's very big. He's very strong. He's very slippery in the open field. He's really good at the point of catch. So he's got a lot of those physical tools that could make him a very successful NFL receiver. Um, The two knocks, he's got the million-dollar arm 10-cent head thing going for him. Yep. Plus, his combine time on his 40 was slow. 4.72. That's that's really, really slow. Yeah. Um, So I've seen him go as high as the first round in some mocks, but I don't believe Mm -hmm. there's a chance in that happening. But I've also seen him ranked like 28th among wide receiver prospects on some people's big boards. So there's a giant range of outcomes for where this guy might end up. And it all depends on uh, which team is in love with him and where they're willing to pick him. But uh, the best comp I found for him, and I think this is a good comp uh Anquan Bolden, uh, not a super fast guy, but big and uh, had all the other tools to make him a really successful player.
2: Jawan Jennings, Tennessee. Let's uh, let's go to Brian Edwards. This guy's fascinating, and I think had he not just broken his foot in February and suffered a knee injury a few months before that, we'd be talking about Brian Edwards as as potentially an early second-round wide receiver, and I still think there's a chance he goes there. He's the all-time South Carolina leader in receiving yards. He was productive throughout his entire career, and he feels like a guy that— Foot aside, assuming the foot's ready by the openers, the kind of guy that you could that could be a starter as a rookie on opening day.
3: Yeah. And you talked about how he held the uh, record in South Carolina. Uh, he was Debo Samuels running mate for the Gamecocks until last season. Uh, he holds the record over, you know, guys like Sidney Rice, who were who were down yeah. there. And uh, um, so Edwards played 48 games for the Gamecocks. He caught a reception in every one of his 48 games there. Mm. That's amazing. Uh, and, and he recorded at least six receptions in each of his final eight games in college. Um, good size, not elite speed, more of a good route runner. He's a pretty smart guy. Uh, finds himself in open space a ton. Uh, was tough to bring down with his big size, even in a tough SEC conference. Uh, the worry is, like you said, the foot injury and the knee injury at the tail end of his senior season. Uh, he did have uh, injury to the same knee at his senior year in high school. Uh, that probably caused him to drop to I, I think he's probably a third round pick. He could drop as far as the fourth, but he's a guy that could absolutely be a steal and he will he will work his way as a successful outside wide receiver in the pros. Um, I think he's a second option. He's like a wide receiver, too, on his own team, but he should deliver good consistency as an NFL starter and the comps I saw James Jones, who had a couple of pretty good years as a fantasy player, top 30 wide receiver seasons and uh, Martavis Bryant without the baggage, uh, both kind of similar players. So uh, Brian Edwards is kind of an interesting dude. And I think uh, there's going to be a team out there that's going to get him late. They're going to slough the wide receiver position, even though they need one. And they'll probably pick him up near the tail end of the third round and uh, feel like they got a really good value.
2: You and I see this uh, guy pretty differently. I think there's going to be a team that takes him in the second round because of his un. Brian Edwards has unbelievable balance and leaping ability. His contested catch rate is amazing. He's he's a good yak guy. He's big enough to break tackles. He's a big-bodied guy who still has balance and leaping ability. I think they're going to be a handful of teams. As 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 medical science has changed so much, Matt, over the last you know. 10, 20 years. I just think the, the, the impact of injuries just isn't what it used to be. And that nobody is, it's almost nobody is truly injury prone anymore. I just think there are some guys that have worse luck than others. There are sure. There are some guys that, that do the injuries really do cut short their career, but mostly medical science has just changed so much that I I don't know that it really makes that big of a difference anymore. I think they're going to be, there's going to be a team in the second round. I believe that's going to look past this injury and just say, we've got a guy who's got some really, really special traits in Brian Edwards. Again, the contested catches the balance, the leaping ability, the one handed catches he's, he's really a special player in some tangible ways. And I think there's going to be teams out there that are Mm going to decide that they, they're going to overlook that injury and all it takes is one in the second round. And I think it's going to happen.
3: You know, charge, I think you're right about a lot of things about the, about the medical side of it, but we're in a weird year where a lot of these teams did not get to bring these guys into their own facilities and have their own medical personnel, check them out. So yeah. a lot of what they're relying on is what happened at the combine and, and what happened at the senior bowl a lot of these guys didn't have pro days with staff on hand. So I think that there's going to be a little bit of trepidation and people are going to back off of some of these guys, uh, with the injury designation just because they haven't had the opportunity to see them in person. And so that's why I'm worried about guys like Brian Edwards. And I'm worried about Tua. Uh, I think that he could fall outside of the top 10 in, in, in the first round of the draft. And, and I think that, uh, his hip is a pretty big concern. So I think there's a lot of guys with the injury bugs in the back that, uh, might fall.
2: Uh, Okay. I, I think that's a very fair point that injury guys, some teams are going to be more skittish on injury guys because they couldn't look at them themselves. I think in Mm -hmm. other cases, they're going to go, well, we've seen this particular injury a dozen times or a thousand times. And we know, you know, we know how this injury works and there just aren't that many variables. Um, as for Tua dropping out of the top ten, <laughs> uh, that's absurd. I knew I'd get you going if, on that if, one. <laughs> if nothing else, there would be teams <laughs> drafting, uh, like you know, Las Vegas at twelve, um, Tampa Bay at fourteen. There would be other teams that would drop that would go up from a, a up in the draft to go get him into the top ten, even if for some reason you know the teams in the top ten weren't comfortable with Tua, although. You know, I, I just think I think you're crazy if you think that's the case. How you know, how does Tua get by Miami at 5 and the Chargers at 6? That can't happen.
3: I can't um, see. It. I think I think I think Miami passes because they think that uh, they can either get a quarterback later or they're or they're happy waiting on the position one more year and building the team first. And I think the Chargers are in love with Herbert. I, I just think that that's how it's going to go. Everything I've heard about the Chargers is they're in love with Herbert, and that's the well, guy that that's,
2: they want. Uh, no, here's the thing: Chargers are are projecting that potentially because they want to they want to not give the impression that they're desperate for Tua, so that if they need to move <laughs> up to number two or they need to move up to number three, that they don't have to overpay to get there. So I think that's you know, <laughs> I still that's think Tua's happening. going at two. I think Tua can go as early as two for sure. If I'm Washington, I would take it to it two because I'm not a believer in Dwayne Haskins based on what we've seen so far. So, you know, sure. and I think all, all that can do is extend the suffering of rate of Redskins fans who have been waiting for a quarterback for you know years and years, so, uh, and are still going to be waiting because they still don't have their guy in Dwayne Haskins.
3: All right, Charch, uh, if we're going to make a one dollar bet, um. I will take Justin Herbert going before Tua. Oh, done. <laughs> I'm giving away a All right. dollar here. <laughs> That's right.
2: Give giving away a dollar, and I don't want you paying me in pennies or nickels. I want a Sacagawea.
3: Oh, I, is- I can probably find that. The tooth fairy in my house brings uh, Sacagaweas. I want This is
2: a Sacagawea <laughs> bet between you and
3: I about who goes first, Tua or Justin Herbert.
2: Done. Deal. All right. Uh, Great job today. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll be back next week for draft reaction. And at that point, the draft will be, we'll have round one in the books. We'll talk about all the round one rookies that went next Friday on Fantasy Football Weekly.